And I think many times in leadership, we talk about vision a lot. Oh, yes, the vision, the vision that got planted in your heart, anything. But there's something prior to vision. It's in satisfaction. And you have to feel it deep and you have to delve into it because it's the key to what God is going to give you. And it's the key to what's going to happen. And it's it's going to still be there after all those years because if it's a true one, it will be there because it's something you, you need to fix that it's wrong with the world, that it's wrong with the church. And that's your calling. Your calling, it's in your insatisfaction, not in your vision, I would say. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Welcome back. It's Christian Huntley here. So good to be back with you. It's been a while. I want to start off by first apologizing to those of you who downloaded this episode expecting a cover of a Rolling Stones hit by Tote Barrera, uh, because that's not what you're getting. Don't leave, though. Um, What you are getting is even better. Ron and Tote share a very similar holy dissatisfaction, if you will, and the conversations that result when they spend time together deserve to be recorded. So we recorded it for you. Enjoy. Lift off and the clock has started. There are some people in your life when you get together with them, you get filled with joy and passion and you have a lot of fun. Well, Tote Barretta is one of those people for me. Tote lives in Madrid, Spain. We met years ago and I absolutely love spending time with him. And he's our guest today. Tote, welcome to the show. Hi, Ron. Thank you for inviting me. Such a, such a pleasure to be here and such a pleasure to meet you again. Long time no see. It Last has time, been a long time. I think we spent some time in London together. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun and always inspiring to be around you too. Amen. I, I thoroughly enjoy my time with you. And one of the reasons I enjoy my time so much with you is because of your passion for leadership, your commitment to the church. Like you're, I, I talked to so many people of great faith, but you have a, a, a specific passion, I think, for leadership within the church to come alongside it, to support it. And that's my passion too. And I think that's why so often uh, when we do talk, uh, it's such an inspiration. So it's a treat to be able to record one of our conversations and just to see where it goes. But why don't you give, update me, and this would be fun for me, to update me on where, what type of ministry are you involved with? What type of work are you doing? And how has that evolved uh, yeah, over cool. You want the long version or the short <laughs> version? You made a good version. I don't know. You choose. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I was a lawyer in my former life, but a good person, though, as I always say. <laughs> and uh, the Lord called me to quit everything and work for Alpha. So we, with me and my wife, Christy, we've been working with Alpha for the past 12 years until 2020 in which the Lord told us it was about time to let others lead Alpha and get on with what we already started, that was all this stream of leadership and accompanying the church and its leaders and the lay people and the priests. So basically, we are running a ministry that it's all about helping out parishes, priests, and lay people so they can become what they're called to be. That is beautiful. That's your version. If you want, I can tell you my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, and that's a fun story too. What's the name of that ministry? I I know the name in English, but uh, what's the name that you chose? Yeah, I'm going to pronounce it in Latin, even though though it sounds a little snobbish, but it's (laughs) Nuncepi. That means new new beginning. Um, it's, It's just what we felt when the Lord called us to this new phase of our leadership, um, ministry life. It's like, new beginning or I'm beginning again, because mm-hmm. it was like not starting from scratch, but starting over. And I think uh, that's what we need in the church. Many people that have, have already been working hard for years need to restart and rekindle their ministries. So this was the name that God gave us in order mm-hmm. to that's, begin this new phase. 
Yeah, that's a beautiful that's a beautiful title, particularly when you consider the, you know, the place we're in right now globally in terms of people's energy level and and discouragement and and just try it's it's a new beginning. We are all starting afresh. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's a big God hit the big reset button on the computer of life, and uh, we're all going through this together. So I love that. Um, what what were you seeing like? Tell me about what got you engaged in ministry in the first place. Like you say, you, you were practicing law, and like, wh- where where did that heart come from for for the Well, church? I I there there was something always about the church, um, loving the church as a teenager. Uh, I got I found God on a pilgrimage, and I joined a religious order in my at the beginning of college, and it wasn't my place, but there was something calling me to do something, but for the church, for the world, for God, but I didn't know what it was because it was hard to to find a place because the usual thing or the easy thing is to say, well, become a priest. And I was always like, yes and not, yes and not, because there was something in me that was not up to it in a way, even though I was up to do whatever for God. At one point, uh, I began practicing as a lawyer after finishing college. Um, yeah. It wasn't the place either. And all my heart was into working for Radio Maria, working for my youth ministry groups, everything. And at one point, God, I remember in Rome, actually, it was a trip in Rome, and I was praying down uh, St. Peter's at the, at the crypt. Yeah. Uh, and I heard this, this, I got this kind of like feeling from God telling me, you have to be like a pillar to the church, meaning you have to help the church. You have to help others in the church. And actually, uh, over the years, uh, when God called me to be part of Alpha, what I found out was that my passion was about evangelizing, of course, but it was something else, not only evangelizing. It was about the people who evangelize. And actually, my heart was for the church. And he gave me a heart for everyone. Uh, because I was always very interested about everyone in the church, all the movements, all the realities, the parishes. I wanted to know about every, everyone. I don't know if it was a big gossip or what, but <laughs> maybe it was because, uh, as you said, when we met, you told me, you told me you're a contextualizer, you know, like, yes. like trying to read into, into who Cultures. I was or how yes. I was built. And that is true. I like to see the whole picture and to see what's going on and to play a part. So basically, God took me through many phases in which I was trying to find my place. And Alpha was a big answer. The, it's a miracle to be able to work as a Catholic leader full time for a ministry yes. in Southern Europe. And over the years, I discovered that it was all about the church. Even though uh, we always start because we love God and we're looking for God. And that's the aim, of course, because if we lose God in the way, we lose everything. What we are aiming for is to connect with him and to have a deeper relationship. But at the end of the day, it's all about the church and its people. And it's a passion. It's uh, an interest. It's, it's something that, it, that burns inside. And it keeps burning. And I'm very grateful to God because... Over the years, it's a fire that hasn't been extinguished. It keeps going. And, and it's a miracle. I mean, we don't deserve it. <laughs> we cannot deserve it. That is so beautiful. What I love about your story, Tote, it's fun for me to hear it too, because I, I didn't know that part of your story. But I think there's so many men that when they fall head over, like when God reveals his love to them and it transforms their anger, their bitterness, their, their addictions, their, their unhealthy attachments, and their allows them to forgive and fills them with joy. It's like, what do I do now? Like it, it changes their lives and, and that's men and women. And, and oftentimes it's, what do I do now? And when it's young people, right away it's is is it the priesthood and, and that's a worthy and beautiful call and and certainly worth discerning but if it's not the priesthood then it's like now what do i do hmm. right like, now what do i do and your story of continuing to follow that call on your heart and it is a matter of trial and error sometimes like you you took up 
law. And it's like, well, why not? Like, we've got to do something with our lives. But as you're doing that, it's like, yeah, but not quite. And, and so this it's this evolution. Like, it, it's like your life is being created in communion with God as you're living out your life and exploring it. And that is so cool because it's so normal. Like some people will just say, well, can't be a priest. I'm married. I think I'll be a deacon. It's like, well, do you know what you're signing up for? And is that really your call? And so anyway, I just love how your call has evolved and how you continue to make a difference and that your fire hasn't been extinguished. And that is a grace, isn't it? It's totally grace by grace and, and, and undeserved. Because when I look at other people and I look at myself, I say, I could be lost in translation somewhere along the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and uh, we always feel that this is a miracle. I mean, yeah. you cannot envision a way like ours. Because yeah. uh, at one point in my life, I was, I was in, in London and I was thinking, what am I doing here? A Catholic guy working within, uh, it's not an Anglican organization. It started in the Anglicans, but now it's international. Yes. And this is like top, top. I mean, we are, you know, meeting amazing people from all over the world in the church. How many people could be here? And of course, there are many other people there. But yes. me? Why me? <laughs> so it's, it's, not, it's, it's not something you... It's something you choose, but it's not something you can imagine when you start your path. And that's part of the beauty because you never know where your yes is going to take you. And, and, and actually, uh, if I may get back to my story, yes, uh, when you're young, you have to think uh, where God does. What does God want for me? Where does he want me? And priesthood. It's the obvious answer for male who wants to serve because that's where the leadership allegedly is <laughs> or back at the time, because that's, that's, you know, your points of reference, the people that you admire, the people that guide you. And uh, the fact that I couldn't find my way, it was such a good training for life in a way, because it's like, is this my place? Is this not my place? I studied theology, a little bit of theology. I was looking into ministry opportunities, but I couldn't find a suitable place for what I was feeling. And some people looked at me and despised me in a way, saying, okay, if not a priest, you have to do something with your professional life. And I was doing something with my professional life, but my, my heart wasn't there. And at one point, my spiritual director he wanted to introduce me to one of the ministries. Uh, no, sorry, this is Spanish. Uh, okay. One of one guy in the government who eventually yes. became the president of the nation. <laughs> he wanted oh, no me way. to work for him, <laughs> and he was telling me, "If you're not a priest, then you have to become a politician because you're gifted for that." And I was saying, "It's not that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to have a career, you know, in a way." Yeah. So it was hard because at one point I was kind of like the founder of the club of the people who didn't have a vocation. And I had another friend and we used to joke about it and say, we are the drifters. We don't, we don't know because we, he also joined a religious order and it wasn't his place, yep. but he wasn't committed to anyone either. So he was looking for his place and it was kind of like a bachelor's club of people trying to look. <laughs> to find their way and their place in the church <laughs> and now this is the fun part is like now we teach priests how to become better priests isn't it amazing i mean i had this formation this training i was in a religious order i studied theology i was around the church and i was within the church and now it's like what am i doing here teaching these guys they know a lot more theology than i do yes. and they've been there longer than i many and uh, yet I have something to tell them. Um, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> it's totally crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but I also, just like you never saw this coming, but he, it's like, he gave you and I a heart for what he was going to ask us to do. And he had to form us through that suffering, through that time of drifting, as you mentioned, or feeling yes. like you were an outcast, so to speak, or, 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 or what have you. And oftentimes, isn't it, that it's through our suffering that he purifies our hearts and... and yeah, and actually, yeah. yeah. 
Oh, Please. sorry, I interrupted you, but it no. doesn't have to be a suffering. It can be insatisfaction. We call it the holy yes. insatisfaction. Yes. And I think many times in leadership, we talk about vision a lot. Oh, yes, the vision, the vision that got planted in your heart, anything. But there's something prior to vision. It's insatisfaction. And you have to feel it deep and you have to delve into it because it's the key to what God is going to give you. And it's the key to what's going to happen. And it's, it's going to still be there after all those years, because if it's a true one, it will be there because it's something you, you need to fix that it's wrong with the world, that it's wrong with the church. And that's your calling. Your calling, it's in your insatisfaction, not in your vision, I would say. Because it's very easy to, you know, to envision empires and to want to build things and to say that, it, that that is your vision. But a true vision comes from pain or, uh, you know, this nagging Holy that discontent, yeah. and all the discontent, um, yeah. holding patience. And, 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 and I think that's how God talks to us mm. primarily because he goes through our heart. Uh, sometimes he speaks through words, prophetic words through images. Uh, I remember once uh, I, I, lo- I, I, I was at one point I wanted to learn Italian. I went to Italy and I remember once, you know, uh, doing like a fake sermon on, in Italian because I wanted yes. to speak in Italian. I wanted to preach to people in Italian. Uh, it didn't make sense uh, if, except for the fact that I love languages, but uh, it happened over time. I, 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 I wound up going to Italy and not preaching. I mean, talking about leadership, about Alpha, about stuff. And it was like, oh, yes, it was in my heart. It was before. And it was because of that that I felt that need to learn the language that I went there. So God is always up to something and he gets, he paves the way. So you can, you can be where he needs you to be. And I always say that one of the biggest graces in my life was that I was able to get a glimpse of many realities of the church. And I, I, I was mm-hmm. uncomfortable sitting in one place. So my youth group, I, 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 have this, I had this conversion when I was 17 and mm-hmm. I worked in this group for four or five years and it's my home, it's my family, but I was discontent. I needed something else. Uh, there was something lacking, nothing, something not working. So I went to the parish and in my parish, I needed something else. And then God called me to the charismatic renewal and in the charismatic renewal, I needed something else. And then he called me to Alpha. <laughs> and then I needed something else. And so uh, maybe I'm, I'm the problem. <laughs> but, but it's good because mm, <laughs> at one point in the way, we met this famous singer in Spain. Uh, well, it's an, he's, a, he's a very, very reputed guy who started a lot, a lot of things. And when we met, he is, his wife, me and my wife, he was fascinated saying, you were born out in the streets. Who, who raised you? And I was like, okay, I have a family. I have a point where I came from, but it is true. I mean, uh, it was hard to find a way. And when it's hard to find a way, God takes you to the desert where there's nothing but him. And that, 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 is, that, is, where, that is the place where you feel lonesome, but at the same time, you see the, lawn, the sun and you see how everything is, lighten up by his presence but maybe many people have been in a similar place like what is my home what is my group what is my community because my parish okay but i don't find a real community or my group of origin okay this is the place where i was raised as a christian but at the same time i need something else and i think this is a time for for for, for that people god always inspires people and keeps the faith in their hearts. And at some point, point he summons them and says, okay, I have my army. <laughs> and the army comes from the unknown places and the least, least expected places and the least expected people and the, le- the least worthy people. Um, thank God. <laughs> Otherwise, we will believe it's for our might. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And, and, you know, a couple of things that, come to mind as as we speak you know you talked about that that dissatisfaction before vision it's like yes like gosh it's so fun it's to hear that because it's like i forget sometimes you know because i'll go straight to vision but it's like no it's a it's a, this holy discontent and i remember before as i 
created some new videos as I help the churches and the, the leaders I help, I realized encounter comes before vision, but I, I'm thinking it's encounter dissatisfaction vision, because if you haven't had an encounter of Jesus, your dissatisfaction isn't coming necessarily from the right source. And so what's your, like, it assumes an encounter. So an encounter, then that dissatisfaction, how are you going to make the world better? And then from there, what's your solution? And that's the vision piece. And so, yeah, just thinking that as you're talking, I'm just writing notes to myself <laughs> to re-record that video. <laughs> because it's so good. But also, too, I, I remember I, a friend named Diane who, when we were doing Alpha at St. Benedict and, and really bringing what we thought was the solution to turning around that church as Father James and I worked together and with the rest of the team and stuff, of course. And uh, and she was a real joker. I really enjoyed her. She was very sarcastic and had a good sense of humor and, and just a really generous soul. I just loved working with her and her husband. And, and one day she said, and I'll never forget the look on her face. She's looking out over the people and she said, to me, this is the first time in my life the church has felt like a family. Mm. And that was so profound because I think so many of us go to church and it doesn't feel like it's our tribe. Like we're not really connected. We're not connected in a way that makes us feel home. Mm. And that is part of my passion for what I do is like, gosh, just don't do the formula. Like care about what the impact is on people. And whether or not you're bringing more people into that transformational experience, what what drives you for for what you're doing in terms of what are you seeing in churches and the work that you're doing? What drives you to want to help these priests, and what are you trying to accomplish? Hmm. What drives it? Uh, I think the Holy Spirit <laughs> is the <a> driver. <laughs> yes. But what drives me drives me is that. Okay, when I was beginning to, to go to England and, you know, I was learning about Alpha, then HTV, I was always saying to myself, if God is showing you this, it's because it's possible to do it where you belong, where you come from. <laughs> Otherwise, he, he, he's playing a joke on you <laughs> because right. he's going to show you how things could be and then you will not be able to do it. Uh, there's got to be a way. Yeah. So I guess there's this sense that it's possible. Uh, of course, uh, if you think about mm, what, what I see, I see a different future, a better future for the church. And I see a future after the crisis, after Christendom is finished. And we, are in, <laughs> we, we turn the page and we are in the next chapter. And so somehow what drives me is mm, not just the particular priest uh, when we work with priests uh, we love them we love the person we love them for who they are but yeah. it's where they can be and who they can lead so they can lead other people and it's kind of like a vision for 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 the whole church in a way and it's about communities it's about remaking of the church rebuilding reconstructing re remodeling so somehow at the end of the day, I think uh, this is hard to say. Uh, I'm not like uh, I, I always thought I was a people person, but uh, nice. then when I did, I did the Clifton strengths, four out of five strengths of the main strengths are about strategy. So Aha. it's the need to get there, actually, what drives me. Right. <laughs> and so I, you're futuristic is one of your strength themes? It's not one of them, but, I, but the five. Uh, yeah. I don't remember now. Don't you cheat? <laughs> but okay, they're all about a strategy, contextualizing, yes. and, and and being able to um, I, it's not idealistic or to, ideation, ideation, yeah. idea, yeah. ideation. You probably have them. learner, yeah, input, learner, ideation, ideation. yeah, yeah. Those strategic so thinking. Yep. We we've seen a future. We want them to get there, but I don't need them to follow me. Uh, very early in my life, God. Uh, showed me that we, I may have a vision and I may inspire others, but I'm not the one who they will Execution. follow. They will follow the path we open. And it's great because we are always opening up new paths and that's what excites us. 
but it doesn't mean that we have to carry on the task of leading everyone. We just open the way so they can go through. And I'm interested about the ways, the new ways, the new, the new routes, basically. That's so awesome. I guess. That's my uncle. My uncle's uh, he has ideation, and it's these new ideas, mm. these new insights that really drive him and get him excited. And then he can share that with people. And that's what I'm hearing with you is that, you know, yeah. they don't have to follow you. You're going to form the people that God brings to you through these new ideas that have been built through your entire life experience. Eh? Yeah. And actually people do what you wanted to do at their time, at God's time, not at your time. So you have to worry about doing what is needed from you, but not uh, worry about them in a way, even though it's great to be part of their journey. And we've been accompanying many parishes throughout the years, trying to, to you know, to get them to, to, to adopt things like Alpha and what comes after. So we always say first announcement and then well, discipleship. And at one point we started this conference with another community that is called Fe y Vida, Faith and Life. It's a big community in Spain. One of the of the few communities that are like the French communities, you know, like mm. Cheman Neuf and those uh, Emmanuel, those communities. Um, we started it together because we wanted people to become disciples, to form communities. But at the time, it didn't feel like we succeeded because we were maybe too futuristic. You know, futuristic. We were yes. envisioning things, and and people were ready because they came but they were not fully ready yet. <laughs> gotcha. So many of the things that we started, people now adopt them and they don't even know we started them. Um, and <laughs> actually they don't need to know because it's all no. about, and, and, and many of them, they've learned about them from other people, not from us. So it's amazing. It's like, wow. <laughs> Isn't that fun? It's so much fun. And, <laughs> and it's so much fun to say at one point, you know, it, it's not about me. It will never be about me. And, mm -hmm. and God has commissioned us to be more free than that. And actually now, and nowadays we, we got this call from, from one priest inviting us to become part of uh, the Episcopal Conferences section for first announcement, which is a new thing in Spain. Um, I remember like 10 years ago saying, there's got to be something in the Episcopal Conference. There's got to be some sort of department devoted to first announcement and evangelization. So after so many years with Alpha, the year we felt the calling to leave Alpha. So first announcement, <laughs> yes. check already. It's working. So we don't need to do it. We get this call. Hey, there's this new section, this new department. Uh, within the, the fixed Episcopal Conference, and we would like you to be part of it. So my wife and I, we said yes, and we said yes, but we're not doing first announcement anymore. <laughs> now we are doing discipleship, a community, and leadership. Yes. It's okay. You can come. Um, actually, half the people that are there came to London, have been part of Alpha, and, and, mm. and it, it's such an amazing uh, thing and such a blessing to be there. And... Um, I, I start to sound like an old person. It's like, yes, back at the time when we started things. And <laughs> Where does the time go? Where does the time? Oh, yeah. That's so neat because every time you say the word we, if for our listeners, what Tote is referring to is his wife, Christy, because they are very united in the work they do there. And I just think that's so fun for a husband and wife to be just shoulder to shoulder in these ministries, just helping support each other and glorifying God. And I, I love your spirit of, you know, it's never about me and, and, and who, who cares who gets the credit. And I, I just love that attitude and disposition. It's so important. Uh, you know, my, my vision. And I, I remember as my, my hope was, and I, I know when all this started for us at St. Benedict parish, you know, in many ways, it was a mistake. We were just trying to get things right. But our vision was always for the broader church. It wasn't just for a church. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I said to Father James when he invited me to work with him is that if you're calling me to build a church, I'm not interested. But if you think God's calling us to work together, 
to impact the church. I'm all in because I've always had a passion for the church. But when he wrote the book, Divine Renovation, people started calling. It's like, oh, man, we're in trouble. Like, this is crazy because it started to put a real strain on our staff and our time because we're answering calls and, and which is all flattering and fun. But it was creating a problem. And that, that's that's I think if you're successful, you're problems don't go away. You just have new problems, right? And so <laughs> leadership is always yeah. about solving problems. And so that's where the conference came. Like, And that's where the idea of coaching came from is what if we could journey with other people so that their church in their diocese became the St. Benedict. And, and I remember at one point, Father James saying in a throwaway line, just in a staff meeting one day, and it was just so profound and it's <laughs> significant. And he'd often do that. It's like, do you realize what you just said? And he said, I, I, I look forward to the day when St. Benedict is lost in a sea of other churches that are just as or more successful. And it's like, yeah, me too. Like that's, that's the goal. That's the vision. Yeah. To, you know, and I know for me, like your calls, it's, it's, this is where our calls a little bit different, which I love. It's like, we're working on different parts of the mm -hmm. wall is you're, you, you, you're, you're very prophetic in what you see. Like you see things way before other people mm -hmm. and you have the way to take these ideas with your experience and bring people through something that's going to form them and mobilize them. And I think my call is to work with these people probably more longer term specifically and I'll stick with them for life or longer uh, in the sense that to really turn around the church so that they can be a hub. It's so hard. Like a lot of the churches I coached, you know, four or five years later, I was still coaching them because their problems <laughs> and, change, right? Their problems uh, yeah. aren't the same. And that's what we call the sustainability problem. I mean, uh, how many people can you coach? If you don't get them to coach themselves in a way <laughs> or True. to be sustainable, you're failing. Uh, and, and, and this is a coaching principle, uh, meaning that coaching yes. has a beginning and an end. There's got to be a process in between. And people have to reach a point where they don't need you anymore because otherwise yes. they become dependent. And actually, this is one of the things that are, I'm wrestling with because it's like, how can we scale this up? without yes. dying in the effort uh, yes. because uh, we saw that with Alpha. At one point when Alpha began to grow as a ministry, people yes. would call you and call you and you start to say no. And you start to say, to, say, to, to think, okay, is it worth it to go there? Is it worth it to go with these people? <laughs> it doesn't sound good in a way, but right. uh, I have to work with the ones who are going to be able to help others. And if I don't focus, we will all get lost because how many times could I have been stuck into one place? Like St. Paul, I guess. St. Paul, uh, he goes, he forms a church and people love him and he's got so much to bring that they want yes. to keep him. But his calling is not that. He's got to appoint bishops, priests, deacons, and other people so they can get on with the church right. uh, that has been formed. And he goes somewhere else. And actually, it's a leadership model because he stays as long as it's needed, but then he goes. And it's always uh, like that. It's, it's, well, it's you say he goes and he does, but look at his letters. Oh, He's yeah. very aware of how volatile that new church is very aware and he's like writing a second letter oh, you yeah. know Tell saying about the galatians <laughs> you know he's saying hey be careful of these people be i'm sending this person i'm saying he doesn't give up on those people he doesn't say hey i did my job i'm good far from it and yeah. i this is what i see and again it's a different way of looking at scalability i see scalability through the eyes of and i think we're saying the same thing mm -hmm. uh just with a different call and different angle but I see, and because I won't work with anybody who's not willing to be generous. And what I see happening with the churches I work with is once they really get it, they start to turn things around and they're sustainably fruitful. Then people are coming to them. Again, they have new problems. But I'm influencing more churches, or this is my hope, not because I'm directly influencing them, but because they're influencing them. And I still exactly. support them so that they can influence more and more and more people. And so it has nothing to do with me. All of a sudden, nobody, people don't know who I am and they don't need to. They're looking at this church and all the other things they're dealing with. And so that's the part for me, because I find leaving too early, they go back to habits yeah. that 
that gravitational effect. <laughs> they focus. They start focusing on the wrong things. They start taking shortcuts, and then inevitably, what ends up happening is they implode relationally because they weren't keeping true to the very things that got them there. And so that's where the I think the nature of coaching shifts. That's my experience. The nature of coaching shifts into mentoring, <laughs> into mentoring, and the impact that they have is way bigger than the impact that I could have. And that's for me. That's, that's what God's calling me to do. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. the kind of leadership you're you're called to. Yeah, yeah. and so actually, fun. you're so right. Uh, the, the the big problem, and we've seen this over the years, is like people who wanted to start things, the early adopters, they started attending conferences, traveling. Mm -hmm going to places and when we when we did this conference that it was a five-year conference i mean each year we had a different edition and we were excited and we were thinking okay this is gonna work and the minute we stopped it <laughs> it, it stopped working because we didn't have the network of coaches mentors and people able to make it sustainable for them while they were transitioning And this is the, the thing, is that we cannot take for granted this church. Um, usually, people, not only they want to take shortcuts, is that they, 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 they are taken for granted by everyone. It's like, maybe this is such a negative view, but what I'm saying is that uh, they don't have the means, they don't have the resources, they don't have the culture. So they need not only to shift their mentality, uh, shift their paradigm, they need to be re-educated. It's like brainwashed in a way from the old ways, from the old Christi Christendom ways, which are okay for Christendom, but are not okay for post-Christendom, post-Christianity era, the, the, the one we are now in. So basically, um, it's frustrating, uh, but for me, it's trial and error. And, error. and after this many years with Alpha, We know very well that people would tend to get back to where they were unless they get to the next level and do the right things. And, mm. and isn't it hard? It sure is. <laughs> But boy, it's what makes life so much fun. And oh. I, that was one of the things that I would get frustrated with. Of course, I've always really enjoyed the relationship I've had with Alpha and the structure of Alpha and the people mm. in the structure of Alpha. They're just so generous and so faithful. I just really enjoyed that. But one of the things that for a season there, and this was quite some time ago, you know, they're very numbers oriented, which is not, nothing wrong with that. We need to set goals. We need to stretch ourselves. We need to, but I wouldn't get as excited when I'd hear those numbers in the Catholic church. And the reason I wouldn't get excited is because we are not good at leadership. And if you take a great course and put it in poor leadership, it's only going to last for a very short period of time. And then the impact is not going to be as widespread as you would hope it would be. And I knew that in my soul of souls. And so I was more concerned about quality than I was about quantity because I knew the quantity was not sustainable because we didn't know how to lead. We didn't know how to have a vision beyond Alpha. Exactly. We didn't know how to recruit people. We didn't know how to raise people up. We didn't know how to deal with problems. And all of those issues are leadership issues. And so for me, unless we get leadership right, like, yes, Alpha is a good seed, but the soil of leadership doesn't exist in a lot of churches. Exactly. And if we don't fix that, Alpha's only helpful for a short period of time. That's been our struggle, actually. And that's the reason why we started doing the leadership course for priests and envisioning discipleship and community initiatives so people can know how to get on after Alpha or after first announcement. And actually, you're so right uh, about what you say about figures. It's a classic one to say we want quality. We don't want figures. Uh, we are ministry oriented. We are vision oriented. We're not figures oriented. But I would say more, it's very easy to, to fool yourself thinking that you have something successful in the Catholic Church because yeah. it's easy to have big numbers, big figures. Uh, not maybe, maybe not in all the contexts in the Catholic Church, but in the Latin American context, it's very easy to have 5,000 people on a stadium, on an arena. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very yeah. easy. Uh, even in Spain, even though this is all Christendom country, uh, we still have some places where churches are full, like my parish of origin. 
it's like 20 kilometers away from where I live now. It distributes 10,000 communions every Sunday, and it's only 10, 25 000. years old. So it's such a success. But if you look deeply, mm. the kind of success that you are looking for is how many people we send, not how many people we accommodate on a Sunday. And it's very easy to do things and to have people around. But the hard thing is to, to send people and to get rid of them. And that's what we learned <laughs> from HTV. I always remember they, they told us when I was an intern there back in 2008, that the key to their success was about to, it was to give away everything. And, and um, by everything, we, we, they were not talking about money. They were talking about people. They gave away their best leaders. And by giving them away, God had to replace them because yes. <laughs> he was faithful to what he was doing there. Um, actually, that's the opposite to what we do. Whenever we have somebody who's brilliant or gifted, what, what do we do? We, we, <sighs> we move we, them around. We suck the life out of them. Like we suck them. We make them work hours, endlessly hours for all the ministries everywhere in the church, in the parish. And at the end of the day, these people are not growing and they're not letting other people grow. And um, that's part of the problem. And it's all about culture, the culture mm. of leadership where we live. <laughs> well, it's, uh, that's a good point. And it burns them out when we do this. Like, again, it's the goose and the golden egg, the, the goose and the golden egg issue. Like sometimes we'll get a priest like a father, James or a father, Simon, or, mm-hmm. you know, father, Sammy Maletta. And, and, and we'll just, they're a great priest. They do great things. They have a great impact. And so then what we do is once that church gets going after six or 10 years, then we take them and we plunk them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And this church, inevitably, you bring in another priest that can just keep it going. Well, he can't keep it going. He doesn't know how. And mm-hmm. that thing tanks. And then this other church takes forever to get up and running again, if it can, instead of keeping that priest there. And then, and then, like you say, taking their best people and sending them off to other churches and transplanting them in other churches so that they can come alive again. And allow that goose that's laying the golden eggs to stay there so that you can send your seminarians there. You can send your, your, your new priests there so they can learn leadership, not just from that pastor, but from a culture of leadership with staff and key leaders, and then send them off. But we don't do that. We just keep moving this priest that we think is good to go and turn around churches, and, and it takes forever. Mm-hmm. And it's no guarantee that the church they just left will keep going. I think about St. Benedict. I think the reason it's been, it continues to be successful and grow and solve new problems is because Father Simon was formed. Mm-hmm. That culture of leadership with Father James, the rest of the team. Yes. And then he's able to step in behind it, honor and respect what's happened before it, and also appreciate it because it was working and then build on that. And boy, I'll tell you, in diocese, that just doesn't happen. And until that happens, we're going to keep killing the church. I so agree with you. And actually, I couldn't help but think of a conversation I had like three weeks ago with the founder of this community, Josue Fonseca. He's a historian, so he loves to, uh, he specializes in, in medieval ages and yeah. And all the processes of the church. And he, he was telling me, you know what the problem is? The problem is that priests are not born. Neither they are sent by the communities where they are born. It's, it, there's something very wrong with the fact that somebody receives a calling, goes somewhere else, to a seminary, outside everywhere, everything, and then gets sent to a particular community. And he's supposed to lead from what he learned in the seminary. And he was saying that wasn't the case before the current system. And that means that people and communities, it's not that they had a say. I know this is very hard for Catholic settings and mindset to think that a priest is going to come out from a community or that we're going to choose or elect the priest. I, I fully and deeply believe in apostolicity and the ministry of the bishops. Yes. And I think it's one of our strengths as a church, actually. By working with Protestants, you can see how yes. different it is in their case. But definitely, we have lost something in the way. 
because there's this disconnect between this connection between the priest and the community. I'm, I'm, I'm studying it a lot lately because we have to tell our, our priests to find a community because parishes are not real communities for them. It's the place where they serve. It's the place where they do their sacrament, the sacraments. Yeah, don't, and, don't attach yourself because we're moving you on. Yeah, and, and that's the yeah. culture of Trent. Trent, uh, not also, not dominating just traditionalism, but Trent as what happened when we had to standardize the priesthood and the formation of the priests after the Reformation. Uh, it was a time in where we needed to objectify, objectify everything in a way saying, this is what is to be Catholic. This is how you become a Catholic. This is what you have to do. A plus B plus C equals D and E. And, and that's, that's, that's Christendom in the, in the latest version. There was another version in the medieval ages, but in this version, you don't have to be a leader of particular skill. You have to uh, stick to the script, basically. Tasks, and the script, yeah. it's all about the sacraments and the sacraments are going to lead us to salvation and to, to life, through life. And it's true. How can that not be true? Of course it is true, but there's something else. And this something else is communities of true disciples. And these communities of true disciples are the ones that reflect the life of the primitive church. And the life of the primitive church is the answer to many of our travels now. We have to get back to the beginning. We have to get back to, to phase one, the phase that comes when evangelization happens and when conversions happen and when we have to deal with new converts and with new communities that are being formed by these new converts. And that's a new setting, a new reality, but it's not that new. It's just getting back to basics. It's what always was. That happened. What happened at the beginning? What kindled things up? What sparked things up? Evangelization, discipleship, formation of communities, and where do you place priests? Priests in this process, they have to be at the heart. They are the guides of the community. They are the pastors of the community, and yet there's this big disconnection because of the culture of Christendom and the culture of trend and where we're coming from. So the sooner we realize, the sooner we will be able to do something about it. Because I think St. Benedict's case, it's a case where Father Lobo was sent right after he was ordained. He was trained and formed and shaped in a way through what was happening in St. Benedict. No, actually, oh, no. he was a priest for seven years before oh, he... Oh, so I was yeah. wrong about that. Yeah, no, that's okay. He, he was so young, so I thought he was just fresh from... You'll be happy to hear that. ...from the seminary. <laughs> no, he served as a chaplain at the university for a while okay. and did some amazing work there. Um, evangelizing is a real heart of an evangelist and then later on sent to... Uh, yeah, so he he was a couple shaped, assignments. Yeah. He was shaped along with the parish. Before That's being right. the main pastor. He, Absolutely. The, and so he could grow, uh, he could learn, and he could become the pastor after mm -hmm. a few years. Yes. Back in the, in the back of the truck. Like, <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> and people knew him, people loved him, people trusted him. And yeah, it's so, so I'm just talking to a priest just yesterday uh, who was a pastor for a long time in different churches in his diocese. And then he took an assignment to launch this new initiative at the universities and, uh, you know, to be a chaplain at the universities. And I asked him, what does he learn doing this work as a chaplain in the universities versus what he did before? And if he ever went back into a church, what would he do differently? And it's kind of a fun question. And his answer took a direction that I don't know was precisely what I was trying to get at. But what he said was, and I thought this was interesting, and, and what you've said just confirms that. He said, I would want to ask the bishop for permission to start a new kind of church. Mm. And he, he didn't want a building. He didn't want an established church. He said, I would rather grab some people around me, bring them to Jesus, and then disciple them so together we could go on a mission right at versus oh don't stick me with that community and all their baggage <laughs> and their you know, you know what's the problem that's, that's where uh, i spend all my time by the way uh, i love doing it but it's hard it's, it's revolutionary really and hard. it's scary <laughs> to hear that but it is so true i remember once i me and my wife and my daughters we were visiting a bishop 
Uh, we were talking uh, about what comes after Alpha and the vicar, the general vicar was there. And he was saying, you know, I was raised to sanctify people, not to evangelize people. And actually, this is the problem is that we carry on all these baggage and the baggage is the structure, the pastoral structure of all Christendom. And many times when you read Evangelii Gaudium, you see that the Pope is saying that we have to give up the old structures, that we have to give up the old, uh, it, he says something else. Mm, I don't remember in English the, the exact word. Caduceus, how do you say that in English? Uh, something that, like the leaves that fall in, in the fall. Uh, mm -hmm. Something that it's, I don't remember so the we name. we have to shed it or we have to let go? You know, the yeah. things that are, that are, that have a time and then they die. Uh, that's a word. Right. But, uh, yes. Uh, so basically the Pope is saying that we have to get rid of the old structure, but he doesn't say what structure. And at one point in Evangelii Gaudium 28, he affirms the parish. He's not saying we have to demolish right. the parishes. And the parishes are a big burden for many, like this priest that you're describing, because we have to carry on with the duty of keeping alive something that we know is dying. And the structure and the parishes are there. And we may think, okay, maybe the Pope is saying that we have to form new communities. But in Evangelii Gaudium 28, is saying the parish is flexible. Some, yes. It's not the exact words, but he's saying that the parish is flexible enough. If the parish keeps on being a community of disciples or the community that it is called to be, it will keep on being the house. Uh, it, it will keep on being the church between the houses of the children of God. Oh. Uh, I'm quoting Evangelii Gaudium my way, but uh, yes. basically he's quoting another document from John Paul II. This document is called Christi Fidelis Laici. In Christi Fidelis Laici, he talks about a new form of community, but it can happen within the church, within the Amen. parish. Amen. But this is the question. It's like, are we going to sustain, are we, we going to keep uh, alive this system? Or is God giving birth to a different system? And I think that mm. the, the answer is both. <laughs> yes. Parishes will remain. They will be less. They will be better. And at the same time, another kind of communities have to arise. And it has happened in the past. We had religious orders. We have movements we had big communities of lay and um, peace and religious all together like it happens in france but what if there is another way another form i what i know for sure is that we are not if we are not faithful to what we are called to be even even the rocks will speak if god is not able to mend the parishes there will be something else because this that something else is the christian community and that's mm -hmm. what remains um, and so for me, the answer to what, God, what the Pope is saying in Evangelii Gaudium is this, this, the, the structural problem is not about the parishes. It's about the Christian initiation structure or process that we have. The, mm. process, the process of becoming a Christian, um, becoming a disciple. That's the problem. It's the when. It's not the what we do. It's not the problem of the sacraments. It's when we apply the sacraments. When, when do we give them? Father James explains it very well in Divine Renovation. Mm -hmm. Yes, but not yet. <laughs> I will give it to you, but when you're ready. And the problem is that we have been given it because we have to give it. We have to give First Communion. We have to give Baptism. And, and so this is deeply theological. Uh, mm. Maybe I'm... <laughs> I'm becoming very tote, like um, I'm thinking about uh, history altogether with theology, but, but uh, I think uh, all our problems yes. are about leadership, but also about theology. We have to get back to the roots of our theology mm. that are based in the depositum of faith, mm. in, the, in the faith that we have been given, and we will find the answers. So the answer is always mm. about looking back in a way so we can go, we can look ahead, uh, move forward. Amen. I'll tell you, I know our listeners can see now why I love spending so much time with you because <laughs> these are just such 
fun conversations. And, you know, I feel like there should be four or five other people sitting around with us in yeah, the coffee we shop. We have to do Madrid. this more often. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And just, just, just to allow ourselves to have these passions and share ideas and, and, and grow and expand our thinking and challenge ourselves and go down one road and realize, oh, maybe I was wrong there and come back. And, and just because the, the freedom to explore, the freedom to have fun, the freedom to have opinions, the freedom to be wrong, the freedom to be formed by somebody else's thoughts and perspectives is so healthy. And, you know, I, we I learn a lot yes. to know we love the church so much. Like I love Jesus. I love the Roman Catholic church and I just want it to be as fruitful as possible. And the cool thing is there are some crazy cool churches out there doing things differently, making a difference. I know, I think of St. John the Evangelist in Indiana, Father Samuel Millett and his team just crushing it, like just doing things. And are they making all the right decisions all the time? No, nobody does. But their heart, I'll tell you, is totally aligned with impact and and, and filled with the Holy Spirit and willing to innovate and try new things. And and that's my hope for all of us as as we kind of wrap this up is that is that we will have the freedom to to really try new things and and let's make impact fruitfulness sustained fruitfulness our strongest desire like faithfulness to Jesus to the church and then fruitfulness like we, if 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 we're holding on to things that aren't fruitful maybe we're holding on to the wrong things because God makes a difference in people's lives and we are called to bear fruit uh, not just to keep on going <laughs> right. uh, or not just to sustain the, the, you know, everything that is falling apart. We are called to be, to bear fruit and we what's are an, yeah. right to say it. <laughs> True. What's it, what's a, as we close up, I'd love to, to tell you, you know, if there's priests out there listening or bishops, what's, what's a, what's the final word of encouragement you would like to say to them? What would you like them to hear? I always say that we live in exciting times and we live in between times. So this is a, a total shift in culture and in system, in paradigm. So I feel lucky to be part of it. And any priest should, be, should feel lucky to be in this historical moment. And they all have a, play to, a part to play. The problem for many is that they're, gonna, they're not going to reach the promised land of new evangelization or mission, whatever you call it, uh, because maybe they are too old, but they're going to be the ones who make others cross the river or come into the, into the promised land. And so any age uh, you are, whatever age you are, you might be freshly fresh from the seminary, or you might be someone who has been fighting in the, in the trenches for 20, 30, 40 years. You all have a role to play. And especially now, this is a place, this is a time for a special double faithfulness. And the faithfulness that you are called to have will inspire others. And the good news is that change, it's a long way but you can see fruit in three years. So you all have a chance to see things happening and, hear, and steer things around. And I think God has a calling and God is on the move. So join the move, <laughs> join the movement. <laughs> That's the final message. <laughs> I love that. Tote, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. God bless you and Christy as you continue to really work out the impact God is calling, uh, wants to have through you guys in your ministry. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for the invitation and for being such an inspiration for us too, and all the friendship and uh, all the prayer. Thank you, Ron. It's been so great. And we have to do this more often. So <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> let's do it with other people too. Uh, let's let's keep, keep the podcast and the conversation going. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Powered for Impact today. And thanks to those of you who continue to show up week in and week out to increase your leadership capacity. We see you and we appreciate you. Feeling very grateful today, actually, for our listeners, but also the amazing guests we've had on the show. A couple that come to mind for me are episode 55 with Jason Everett or episode 48 with Dr. David Dean. We've also had Bishop Brian Dunn and Stanley Cup champion Joe DePenta. 
If you missed any of these, make sure you go back and check them out. They are amazing. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.